You're listening to a sermon from Midtown Presbyterian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about Midtown and its ministry, please visit us at midtownpres.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Back in the year 112 CE or AD, uh, there was a ruler in the Roman province of Bithynia, which is now modern-day Turkey. The ruler's name was Pliny, which is a great boy name, if you guys are looking for boy names in your life right now. Pliny, a great one. Emily and I keep a list, and maybe we can add that to our list of potential future baby names. I don't know. Pliny Levitt kind of sounds nice. But Pliny, Pliny uh, had one simple job back in the year 112. It was to keep the Roman engine going. See, he ruled at a time when Roman infrastructure and wealth and strength dominated the ancient world. There were poets at that time who famously quipped that Rome ruled from the rising to the setting sun. Their empire expanded and dominated everything which with, it came in, with which it came into contact. And there was actually a religious component to the maintenance of this empire as well. The religion of that day served as a foundation for empire worship and allegiance. You actually see it in their coinage. Emperors like Augustus and Tiberius and Nero, they were referred to as the son of God on their currency. Religion in that day, religious expression and language and practice for the Romans was a nationalistic tool to support the rule of Rome. But in the middle of Pliny's reign, amidst the impressive and dominant empire of Rome, he was faced with a dilemma. Because one day, a number of people were brought before him and they represented a new movement. It was pervasive in that time. And when Pliny looked at them, he didn't think it was that remarkable. On the surface, this didn't pose much of a threat. It arose out of a place called Galilee, which at that time was kind of the armpit of the Roman Empire. Not a whole lot came out of Galilee. But this movement was pesky. It had spread all over the place. and It was actually driving people away from worship of the empire. It was driving people away from comprehensive Roman allegiance because they had the audacity to call someone else the son of God. They refused to worship the Roman gods, and their pledge of allegiance wasn't to their government. Anyone want to guess what the name of this new movement was? Christianity. Yep, you nailed it. Nice job. You're in a church. It's a good guess. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer. Yeah. In, uh, in one letter to his friend Trajan, which is another great boy named Trajan Levitt. Man, sounds nice. Strong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. She, she just, she holds the keys. She's going to decide that. I don't know. In, uh, in one letter to his friend named Trajan, Pliny called this new movement of Christians a superstitious contagion. It was like a disease in his mind. It was dangerously spreading to villages around the empire. But then when he looked at them, he's like, this doesn't make any sense. How is this spreading this way? They're poor. They're unremarkable. Many of them were uneducated. They had women leaders in a highly patriarchal society. Are you kidding me? Women leaders? This thing will never get off the ground, Pliny thought. And so, on this day, when he had these Christians in front of him, he said, you know what? I'm just going to shut this thing down now. I'm going to put this fire out before it continues. So he decides to kill the Christians who are in front of him and make a new law in Rome, where if you were unwilling to recount your Christian faith, that you'd be killed as well. That's how it worked in that day. And so persecution became predominant. And yet, in spite of their lack of physical force, their lack of political power, their lack of social capital, Christians kept growing. Christians went from being non-existent in the year 10 CE to having more than 20 million adherents by the year 310 CE. Many historians estimate that half of Rome became Christian in those first few centuries under persecution. 
Went from 0% to 50%, like that. There's a historian named Kenneth Scott Latourette who talks about this. He says, never in so short a time has any other set of ideas, religious, political, or economic, without aid of physical force or of social or cultural prestige, achieved so commanding a position in such an important culture. It's never happened before or since. These followers of Jesus from the outset experienced radical transformation in their lives and then radically transformed the world around them. And that should raise a pertinent question for us. How? How did Christians do this? How did this new faith, which started with a couple hundred followers of a no-name guy who was an ordinary working-class man from Nazareth, how did they grow this rapidly? How did this Jesus-following movement so radically transform the world around them? And that's a question that we actually get answered for us in these texts. We get an indication of what it was about the church that so powerfully changed the world. We see it in the book of Acts. We're in the middle of a teaching series here at Midtown on the book of Acts, and it aligns really, really nicely with today's Vision Sunday. We're going to see that the early church was transformative in the ancient world because they practiced three main things. They practiced being with Jesus, they practiced belonging to community, and they practiced blessing the world. Being with Jesus, belonging to community, and blessing the world. So what we're going to do today is explore those three notions in the book of Acts and then see how those three notions translate for us today in 2023 here at Midtown. With me? All right. Acts chapter 2, friends. If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 2. Acts is the fifth book in your New Testament, if you're flipping there. We're going to be in Acts 2, starting in verse 36 and reading through verse 47. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words are going to be behind me on the screen, so you can follow along there. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36. This is Peter, the apostle Peter speaking. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with them, many other arguments, and exhorted them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The beginning of this passage is actually the end of one of the earliest Christian sermons. The Apostle Peter, who we met right away at the start of things, he's one of the original 12 disciples. He had just finished powerfully recounting the redemptive and restorative story of Jesus to a crowd of people who had shown up to the city of Jerusalem. They showed up for a festival called Pentecost. These were people from all around the ancient world. 
who looked different, who sounded different, who uh, had different ethnic backgrounds, they show up here for this festival. And thousands of people that day, after Peter's sermon, are cut to the heart. They're deeply moved by the story of this Jesus. But it's important to note, I think, here, that Peter didn't just stand up and decide by his own human strength and ingenuity to preach a sermon on this day. This isn't about his message at all. Remember who Peter is. Just a few weeks before this, he categorically denied any association with Jesus. That's who he was. So what changed? Right? He goes from denying Jesus to now preaching this powerful message where many people are cut to the heart. What happened? We get a little glimpse of what happened actually in Acts chapter 1 here. We learned in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus, after dying and being placed in a tomb, rose from the grave and then appeared to the disciples. And not just once. He appeared to them convincingly, the text says, over a period of 40 days. In other New Testament texts, it tells us that hundreds of people saw the risen Jesus, saw his actual body, felt him, touched him, spoke with him, learned from him. They spent time in the real presence of Jesus. A large quantity of people experienced that resurrection life, which means Christianity isn't a one-off ghost story. That's an important thing here. The Bible makes really clear to us that this wasn't just some crazy religious experience that one person had and they kind of brought it down from a mountaintop to the rest of the people. Hundreds of people experienced the risen Jesus. It was remarkable. And then, from those early encounters, time with Jesus, Jesus said to them that the Holy Spirit was going to come. God's life-giving presence was going to inhabit them and live amidst them. And that Holy Spirit was going to bring redemption and restoration to all things and to all people. That's the story of the kingdom. And that's exactly what happens at the start of chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus' followers are waiting and they receive the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God amidst them. And only then does Peter preach a sermon. Only then, after being with Jesus and after being with the Holy Spirit, is Peter able to do what he does. And that sort of immersion in the presence of God continues after the sermon. This new group forms from these 3,000 people. And they live this new sort of life together. We see it in verse 42. They commit themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, and they invest extended time in the temple, which is a place devoted to being in God's presence. So notice the trend here. In the first two chapters of Acts, we see Jesus' physical presence in chapter 1. We see the arrival of the Holy Spirit, God's presence amidst the people. And then we see them committed to spending time in God's presence through teaching and learning and prayer and time in the temple. You see the trend? Being with Jesus is the foundational thing for the church right away from the beginning. They focused on being with Jesus. Everything that they did, all of the transformation that took place in the ancient world started because they were being with Jesus. Yes, Christianity isn't full of a bunch of people who get together and say, hey, what if we were just the nicest people ever? What if just by our own human willpower, we suddenly make ourselves great? That's not how it works. The Christians in the early church became what they were because they sought to abide in the transformative source of life in Jesus. They started there. They believed a radical story and immersed themselves in a radical presence. That's the thing that marked these people. That historian I quoted earlier, Kenneth Scott Latteret, he writes about this as well. He says that the presence of Jesus is the reason that the Christians became what they were. Here's what he says. More than any of its competitors, Christianity attracted all races and classes. Christianity gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. The Greek and Roman philosophies never really won the allegiances of the masses. They appealed primarily to the educated, the morally and socially cultured. 
Christianity drew the lowly and unlettered multitude, yet also developed a philosophy which commanded the respect of many of the learned. Christianity, too, was for both sexes, whereas at least two of its main rivals were primarily for men. The church welcomed both rich and poor. No other group, therefore, took in so many groups and strata of society, and here the question must be raised, why did it first appear in Christianity? And then he says this, it is the uniqueness of Jesus which seems the one tenable explanation. Without Jesus, Christianity would not have sprung into existence, and from him and beliefs about him came its main dynamic. Being with Jesus is what changed these people and changed the world. Christians gave themselves away to others because they knew that Christ gave himself away for them. They stopped grasping at power because they knew that Jesus gave up his power for them. They forgave their enemies because they knew Christ had forgiven them. It was primarily their devotion to Jesus that led them to become a transformative force in the world. And that's a crucial principle for us to bring into our own lives today, friends. The thing that we devote our most attention to is the thing that will make us who we are. The thing that we devote the most attention to in our lives is the thing that will make us who we are. Our devotions shape our personhood. And we're living at a time right now where you're going to walk out these doors and thousands of things are going to be pressing in on you for attention. Thousands of things are going to be telling, devote your attention to this. Devote your living, your breathing, your working to this. The reality is that all of us are devoted to something. If we really assess it in our lives, we're all devoted to something. And if we want to be the people we were made to be, people of love and grace and generosity and life and peace, it can only happen if we spend devoted time with the source of those things in Jesus. Being with Jesus is the foundational reality of all of the Christian life. So the church transformed the world by being with Jesus, by devoting themselves to him. But it didn't stop there. See, that devotion wasn't just this private little thing. It wasn't waking up for 15 minutes and reading in their Bible alone and then it not changing any part of their life. It radically changed what they did and where they went. And so we see that they transformed the world also because they belonged to community. In verses 44 and 46, we see that in this Acts 2 passage. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. So not only were these people ravished by and immersed in the presence of Jesus, their being with Jesus formed a new sort of community. It wasn't this private little devotional life. It formed them to belong to one another. And notice how comprehensive this was. Luke, the author of Acts, is using the word all over and over again. Did you catch that? All who believed, all things in common, distributed to all. The Christian's commitment to Christ meant that they didn't see their home or their table or their loaf of bread or their coat as mine versus yours. It changed the way that they understood their things. They saw all things as gifts from God to be experienced and to help all. So they ensured that they stewarded and used those gifts as best as possible. They belonged to one another. There's an early church writer named Tertullian. He wrote a, a ton of letters about what it looked like to live in the early church. He put it this way. He's describing the early church. Though we have our treasure chest, it's not made up of purchase money, that is spending money, as of a religion that has its price. On the monthly day, if he likes, each puts in a small donation, but only if it be his pleasure, and only if he is able, for there is no compulsion 
All is voluntary. These gifts are not spent on feasts and drinking bouts and eating houses. That's what we like to spend our money on, huh? Not spent on feasts and drinking bouts and eating houses, but to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls destitute, destitute of means and parents, and of old persons confined now to the house. For nothing but their fidelity to the cause of God's church, they became the nurslings of their confession. That is, they became the children of what they confessed about Jesus. In a world that is split into categories of haves and have-nots, into groups where those splits are common, Christianity moved and, rem and removed those splits, broke down those walls. All of their care is rooted in the radical assumption that they belong to one another, which flies in the face of our hyper-individualized culture. Our culture likes to tell you that true life the true fulfillment is going to come when you seek your own will for your sake. Let no one else tell you what to do. You are the captain of your fate. And Christianity says, no, you belong to one another. Mother Teresa famously said, if we have no peace in our world, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to one another. For the Jesus follower, our own life and health and well-being is wrapped up directly in the life and health and well-being of our neighbor. And so we commit ourselves to one another. We belong to community together. And we embody what Christ embodied in his life through that new life together. Remember that Jesus committed himself to humanity for their own flourishing. And so we commit ourselves to one another for our flourishing. There's no such thing as a one-off Christian who's kind of out there getting saved and then living in isolation separate from others. There's only the Christians. There's only the community of Jesus followers who belong to one another out of reverence for Christ. So they transform the world by being with Jesus. They transform the world by belonging to community. But it didn't stop there. They also transform the world by blessing the world. Verse 47 shows this, and we're going to see this over the course of the book of Acts as we read through it together. Verse 47 shows that the church was always going beyond its own walls. They were always transforming the world around them. It says that they were praising God, and that praising brought them the goodwill of all the people. The goodwill of all the people. How often do we talk about Christians in our world and it doesn't seem like they have the goodwill of all the people, right? How often do people look at Christians and say, I want no part of that, right? Something about these Christians cared deeply for their neighbors beyond their walls. And therefore, they had the goodwill of all the people. And then the result of that was day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The result is that people were compelled to come into this faith because it was radically different than everything else. The church didn't just care for the people they liked, or the people who looked or sounded or acted like them, or the people who had earned it. They cared for all. And again, this broke down the worldly categories of the time. It didn't make sense to people. There's a great quote from Emperor Julian of Rome. He said, the impious Galileans, that is the Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. He was surprised that they were supporting his people better than he supported his people. The Christians broke down barriers and loved others even well, better than they loved themselves. And that means that when Christians show up in a neighborhood, in a city, in a culture, they transform that place because they ensure everyone around them is taken care of. They ensure everyone around them knows that they are beloved, cared for, that God sees them and knows them and longs to bring them into his family. Their sense of belonging expanded beyond their walls. They knew that all people were the beloved children of God. And that's hugely important for us to remember, you guys. The proclamation of the gospel isn't, hey, you guys on the outside, you better come in. 
That's not the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel is that the kingdom of God is here and is available for all. And we embody that kingdom to the world. We bring that to people. We participate in that. It's already working. God's already working ahead of us. It's not about pulling people into our religious thing. It's about proclaiming to them the good news that God cares for them, that God cares for the world, and that he's stepped into it to redeem and restore it, every part of their lives. Amen? And that makes all the difference in the world for our lives. Because when we realize that, when we realize that Jesus came not just for me and my life, but he came for all, then I approach people differently. I see them differently. I see them as a beloved child, a son or daughter, just like I am. And I long to see them know that new identity. I long to see them welcomed into the family of God. And so I care for them. I speak with them differently. I interact with them differently. Following Jesus is the only way that we can see our limiting walls of prejudice and selectivity and preference broken down. Because it proclaims to us that Jesus came even for our most sworn enemies so that they might be redeemed and restored. There is no life of following Jesus that does not immediately send us out beyond these walls, even to the people we don't love, even to the people we don't like. There's a great quote, I think, to wrap this up uh, from a guy named Willie James Jennings. He's a great New Testament theologian. He says, People caught up in the love of God not only began to give thanks for their daily bread, but daily offered to God whatever they had that might speak that gracious love to others. What is far more dangerous than any plan of shared wealth or fair distribution of goods is a God who dares impose on us divine love. Such love will not play fair. In the moment that we think something is ours or our people's, that same God will demand that we sell it, give it away, or offer more of it in order to feed the hungry and clothe the naked or shelter the homeless, using it to create shared bonds of love, of life. This will be the new direction born of this movement. Radical, radical change in how I view myself and how I view my neighbor and how I view God and what is happening in our world. So the early church, friends, they transformed the world around them through three practices, being with Jesus, belonging to community, blessing the world. And the question for us is how do we at Midtown in 2023 on McDowell Road become the sort of church that does the same thing? How do we participate in God's transforming of the world? So we're going to pivot now, talking about the early church to how we implement this together, and then talking about what our next steps are in our community here. I want to start uh, by overviewing our mission here at Midtown. Uh, this is language that we use every week, so it likely isn't unfamiliar to you. We exist here at Midtown to invite people into a transformative relationship with Jesus. And we do that by embodying what the early church did, being with Jesus, belonging to community, and blessing the world. This is our mission. This is how we do what we do, why we do what we do. And so now I want to step into what our specific nexts are within that mission. Every person in this room has the ability to step into a next thing. And so our first next here at Midtown is being with Jesus. Shocker, being with Jesus. And we do this in a few different ways at Midtown. Grace, you can move on to the next one. Being with Jesus looks like a lot of these things. Sunday gatherings, what we're doing now, is the time where you can... Spend time with Jesus, inhabit space with Jesus, but also prayer, and not just prayer communally, but prayer individually, having a life that is saturated with seeking the presence of God. We do things like solitude retreats, time to get away from all of the voices that are infringing upon us, causing us to change our devotion. 
and Scripture Nights. Some of you were there uh, about a year ago. We read through the entire Gospel of Mark in one sitting, which was really amazing. Yeah, Jordan was happy about it. You get to see the whole story played out in front of your eyes. It's an amazing way to be with Jesus alongside one another. So wherever you are in this room on your spiritual journey, wherever you are in investment in the church or in following Jesus, we invite you to take another step. What does it look like for you to be with Jesus in a new way now? Gracie, move on to the next one. Uh, another tool I want to share with you guys, some of you in community groups already are aware of this tool called the Transform Life. We did a sermon series uh, that covered a lot of these topics as well. But we wrote out a curriculum, and in the next few months, we're going to be turning that curriculum into an app. So you'll actually be able to download the Transform Life, all the information and resources that are there, and you'll have access to it wherever you go. In the Transform Life, we have a ton of stuff that helps you be with Jesus. Readings that help prompt you, questions that help prompt you, prayers that can help prompt you, and then a bunch of other like recommended external resources. Many of you know me. I am like a fire hose of information. So I will just, I throw it all in there in an app, and it's easy for you to access and see. You can learn what it means to be with Jesus more and more in your life. So being with Jesus, being with Jesus. That's the ways that we do that. We're going to practice it together into this next season. And so I invite you all, take that next step. Next number two for you is belonging to community. There's a few different things that are kind of nexts in this area as well. Uh, Belonging to community. Go ahead, Grace. Next one up. Nice. Okay, yeah. So belonging to community, we realize, is a multifaceted endeavor. And being with Jesus, in many ways, is a multifaceted endeavor. Uh, Not everyone is at the same point in their spiritual journey. So it's really important for us to provide space for everyone to inhabit our community in the way that makes sense for them. So here at Midtown, we want to make sure that we provide space for you regardless of where you are on that journey. We provide space, for instance, for people who are curious. This is kind of the front end of discipling Jesus. These are people who are just saying, you know, this whole Jesus following thing, I've heard about the Bible, I've heard about church, I know some Christians. I'm curious about taking a next step. I'm curious about learning what's next for me. These aren't people who would say, I'm in on following Jesus yet, but we want to provide space for people to ask questions, to explore, to wonder to inhabit this space and not feel like they have to be all in right away. So we provide space for curious people in a variety of ways. If you fit into that category, I'm not going to assign that for you. You get to assign it for yourself. You can say, am I curious right now in my life? There's space for you at Midtown. Coming to movie nights is a great place to start. And then after this kind of curious stage, we've noticed that people tend to move into a more rooted stage where they say, all right, I've been curious about Jesus, I've learned about Jesus, and now I want to take my next step in inhabiting community following Jesus. And so that's where the transformed life comes in. You go through a curriculum with some other members of this church. You get invested in a group. You start to learn more and more about what it looks like to give your life to Jesus. And then once you've done that, once you've gotten rooted in this sort of community, we hope that that continues to grow in you. If you haven't been baptized, we'd hope that that leads to baptism. If you're someone who maybe hasn't really prayed or given your time or money or energy away, we, we want to walk with you in that and learn what it looks like to give more and more of yourself away as Christ exemplified for us. And then, eventually, our hope is that you become fruitful. You're somebody who not only is growing in your faith, but is actually giving yourself away to more curious people, pouring yourself out to your neighbors who might be curious, spending time investing and serving in this community here. And by the way, important note, this is not about ranking. This is not about leveling up and being like level 10 Christian. That's not the hope. The hope is instead to have kind of an intuitive understanding of the faith journey. And the reality is that fruitful people don't stop being curious. Fruitful people haven't arrived. They continue to grow. Fruitful people still need to get rooted, right? So all of this kind of weaves together. That's why we've got it kind of going in a circle. But our hope is that we're giving language for you all to kind of assess, okay, where am I at in my journey? 
And what's kind of my next step? So our hope is if you're curious, you're thinking about a next step to get rooted. If you're curious about following Jesus, take a next step, get baptized or talk about getting baptized, jump into a group and learn about this story. If you're rooted in a group, but you feel like you could use some growth in disciplines or practices, then we hope that you move into growing. And then growing people. The next step might be, man, how do I become more fruitful in my life? How do I talk to my neighbors about Jesus? How do I serve in this community really well? Make sense? So this is our pathway for how we belong to community. I think this is an important tool for us. Uh, second part to belonging to community here is covenant partnership. Uh, so we would say that the kind of last two parts of that discipleship journey, being growing and being fruitful people, those are the sorts of people that can uh, participate in the life of the church by being covenant partners. Now, this is a new thing and new language, so I want to walk through this with you guys. Uh, covenant partnership is basically our, our structure for belonging to community with one another. And I want to be clear what covenant partnership is and isn't. Uh, this is, uh, if you guys have heard of church membership, this is kind of the way that we do church membership at Midtown. One, covenant partnership is not a special club of elite Christians. You can go and join the Navy SEALs if you want. <laughs> Jordan's disappointed in that one. <laughs> Jordan's really about being an elite Christian. So it's not that. It's not a membership that entitles you to increased religious goods and services. There's a reason that we use the language we do. Membership in our culture often sparks things like Netflix memberships or gym memberships, which is where I pay a company money to provide me services. That's not what covenant partnership is. You're not paying to get goods and services. And then third, it's not a way to split insider from outsider. Remember, we want curious people still around this place. Covenant partnership is not a way to split up uh, the haves from the have-nots, and that's not the goal. Here's what it is. It is a proclamation of faith in Jesus. To be a covenant partner, you proclaim faith in Jesus. You take vows to proclaim that faith. It also means a dedication to love one another and our neighbors. And it means a commitment to support and participate in the life of the Midtown. Because that's what it means, right? Belonging to community. Being a Christian means belonging to a place. So covenant partners belong to this place and belong to one another. With me? Yeah. All right. So here's how covenant partnership is going to work. One, we use the language of covenant partner to avoid kind of the membership assumptions. And it's borrowing language from the scriptures, the idea of the covenant, covenant theology. It's kind of central to the scriptural narrative. It's basically God's commitment to us. Even when we've failed God, God is committed to us. We want to illustrate that commitment to one another in our lives together. So covenant partnership over membership, that's why we use that language. The second thing, expectations for covenant partners. So if you're thinking, all right, is Midtown my church? Is this place I want to invest? Here's what it looks like to say I'm a covenant partner. You participate in Sunday gathering on an ongoing basis. You've already checked that box. Cool? Not a box to check. I'm being sarcastic. But you participate in Sunday gatherings. You speak and embody the love of Christ through service to neighbors. You're actively thinking about how do I love my neighbors well. You dedicate your time, your talents, and your treasures to Midtown's ministry and mission. So you're giving of yourself to this church community. You're building rhythms of spiritual growth in Christ with others, things like community group and spiritual practices. And then you actually get to participate in nominating new leadership here at Midtown as well because we as a body get to do that together. We get to be a part of kind of charting the way forward in leadership in our community. So you get to nominate new elders and board members as our representatives. So that's the expectations. Becoming a covenant partner looks something like this at Midtown. It's going to be going through the transformed life or having equivalent sort of meetings with a staff member. So sometimes we're going to be running transformed life cohorts, hopefully twice a year. Sometimes people might show up and kind of be in between. And so we'll actually give them a chance to we'll meet with some uh, elders or meet with some staff members and walk through what it looks like to be a covenant partner. So one of those two things. It's going to look like affirming a public statement of faith. So you'll stand in front of people and take vows and say, I follow Jesus. 
And then you're going to commit to participating in Midtown for as long as you're around. So it's not like, hey, you're on contract for like five years. Right? It's as long as you're around, you're committed to the life of this place and your time and your talents and your treasures. Is this intimidating? Good. I'm so happy that it's not intimidating. And guys, that's a big deal because sometimes this sort of insider and outsiderism can be really unfortunate in the church. And we don't want to create that. We just want to say, hey, we commit to one another. We belong to one another. Uh, so I'm glad. So that's one way to belong. Uh, covenant partnership as far as when this is going to start to be implemented over the next few months. So I wanted to put the language in front of you now. We're going to be sending out updates on what it looks like to take a next step into covenant partnership in the coming months. Cool? All right. Next up on belonging to community, giving. All right. This is really exciting, you guys. I'm really excited to share this with you. So an essential part of Midtown's health as a church community is our ability to become financially self-sustaining. As a church plant, we started a few years ago uh, reliant upon funding from many other amazing and gracious churches. And our church has slowly, as it's grown and developed, developed also in its financial sustainability. And so our hope is that we now, kind of no longer being dependent on our parents, so to speak, we get to be a, a child who now moves through the world a little bit differently as a church. We get to sustain ourselves financially. So our goal is by October 2023, October of this year, to be financially self-sustaining and working towards 120 days expenses, which means we have enough money for three months. Is that three months? Four months. 120 days would be four months. Four months expenses after, if, if everyone stopped giving, if the whole thing fell apart, we'd be able to make the church go for four more months. We have kind of that saved. So that's the goal. And we're actually amazingly close to this goal. So, yeah. Really celebratory. So our average monthly giving right now at Midtown is 275 a month. The people that give, on average, give 275 a month. If all people who attended Midtown on a weekly basis, so our average Sunday attendance right now is about 50, if every person who showed up on a Sunday increased their giving by $1 a day or $30 a month, we would be immediately financially self-sustaining. If every person in this room right now said, I'm going to up my giving if I'm already giving or start giving if you're not, if you said, I'm going to start giving at $1 a day, this thing is immediately financially self-sustaining, which is amazing, amazing stuff. So that's the goal, that we would start to embody this together really, really well. That our culture would be one of giving. And again, this isn't about, this is really important as well, you guys. We, I know we talk about this a lot, but I, I think it's worth re-articulating. Midtown does not exist for its own sake. When you're giving to the church, you're giving for the world. That's the goal. And just an evidence of that, Literally, our rent is going towards kingdom work every day. More than 20% of our budget is for rent to Hope Women's Center. That's going to kingdom work. That's going to loving your neighbors really, really well. So I know sometimes, and rightly so, there's a hesitancy to giving to an institution. There's a hesitancy because sometimes funds can get abused or misused. Know that here at Midtown, we're fully candid about where our giving goes, and it's constantly going to love and serve others. It goes to keep the lights on and pay people to do the work, certainly, but it goes towards kingdom work. You're giving for the sake of the world. And this, by the way, that number also assumes no new people or new givers. So if there are new givers who step into this community or new people who step into this community. That actually becomes an easier goal. With me? Yeah. All right. So this is an invitation to you to give. Uh, I want to give some space as well for kind of a comprehensive financial picture. Uh, so I'm going to invite Adam, who's one of our elders. He heads up our finances here at Midtown. He's going to present a little bit more on where we're at financially and what the last year or so has looked like. So I'll turn it over to Adam. Um, I, yeah, I'm Adam Alley. Um, I've been in Midtown since 2017. Um, 
And this is very different than what we were seeing in 2017. <laughs> so yeah, that last line on the previous slide uh, assumes no new growth or new givers. Uh, in 2017 fiscal year going into 2018, we were uh, less than the salary of the person who was preaching. Um, now we are double that. And so that is a giant assumption for uh, this congregation. We've seen a lot of growth. And one of the beautiful things about our church is uh, the marginal increase in a new, new person coming does not really impact our expenses. It, so any new growth immediately makes that $30 number, which I think is already very approachable, um, uh, even more approachable. Um, actually, after, after we, we talked yesterday about, okay, what does this actually mean, that $30 more a month, I went back and looked at March and I spent more on coffee at my work cafeteria than I uh, than thirty dollars, and I work from home most of the time. <laughs> so it really tells really you doable. Yeah, really doable. Um, so okay, this is where we're at, and I know that you all came here today for financial reporting and budget updates. This is really <laughs> wanted this. Um, so year-to-date revenue, we're at just shy of seventy thousand, and our year-to-date expenses were just north of that. That difference is around 3,600. Um, so we're very close to having our year-to-date revenue meet our year-to-date expenses. And um, as an aside, what I use here for revenue isn't our full revenue. That is our, um, our giving from our congregation. That doesn't include grants or gifts from other uh, churches or denominations, which we have received, which has resulted in this cash on hand number you see below. Uh, of that cash on hand, 19,000 is, um, designated so either somebody gave it to us for a designated purpose uh, whether that was an apprenticeship or um, something going on in the church specifically for that purpose or a grant we received um, from um, uh, grant making authorities for uh, whatever we applied uh, in our application for that grant with is what we use that money for and so when you cut that in half uh, it ends up with around 19,000 and that gives us 70 days of uh, days expenses cash on hand uh, which is a great buffer, uh, especially for a church plant. Uh, that is amazing, and it's really the, the kindness and generosity and investment that we've gotten from uh, what's now the former Spring Tempe Church, Mountain View Presbyterian Church, Valley Presbyterian Church, the Hope Presbytery, and our denomination have really uh, rallied around us and uh, made this very possible and doable. But looking at this, it, it just shows me how far we've come, how much we've grown, um, how invested the people who come to Midtown Presbyterian Church are, and just, it's, it's great numbers, and I am, I'm just thrilled to be seeing them. Yeah, thanks, Alan. I'll, uh, I'll keep you up here. Well, for all three of you that that was really interesting for, we're glad, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's really important, guys. Like, it, it shows and indicates, like, these line graphs, which, I'm sorry, it's cut off on the top, I don't know how that happened, but... Uh, those line graphs are showing generosity. They're showing how God is working in our community through one of the hardest things for us, especially in America, which is money. So thanks, Adam, for presenting on that. Uh, next up on the slides, we're going to talk about what it looks like, I believe, to bless the world. Yes, nice. So blessing the world, this is the third part of what, how we at Midtown want to invite you to participate with us uh, through things like service, vocation, and witnessing. So our next, next is blessing the world. And in order to start this off, I'm actually going to invite Gabby Gustafson up, our pastoral apprentice. She's going to talk about what it looks like to serve at Midtown 
and how that might be molding or changing in our story coming up. Nice. You had a fan in the back with Grace, by the way. I don't know. If Thanks, you Grace. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, we got to hear from Adam on, um, um, and Clint from giving of our treasures, which we, which we talk about every Sunday. Um, so I get to talk about, um, the giving of ourselves and giving of our time. Um, a scripture passage I really love when I think of, um, serving is first Corinthians 12, four through six. It says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And just because I'm going to double us up, um, I really loved Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this same. Um, so I'm going to just, I'm going to repeat it in more different words. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere, but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. Mm. Each, person, each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit and to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. And I, I think that's a really good picture for um, how, we, how we serve um, the kingdom by showing up and, and serving um, the church. Mm-hmm. Um, as I look out into the room, I see many faces who participate in making this thing happen. This isn't a Clint show. This isn't a Gabby show. If it were, it would not be a fun show. Mm-hmm. This, ha- this happens because we are a body. That, um, scripture often uses the, the metaphor of a body when talking about the church that all all parts come together to work for the good of God, and that, that all originates in God, um, as, as we read. So that being said, if you are somebody who, who shows up and serves on a ministry team here at Midtown, um, we're going to be, starting this fall, we are going to start um, a new um, serving system. So we have currently six different ministry teams at Midtown. That's Connect Team. That's who greets you as you come in. We've got worship team, that's Stephen and others who um, lead us in songs of worship in the mornings. Um, we have a prayer team, we have a set up and tear down team, an AV team in the back and getting all of this put together. Um, and we have a kid town team, which you get to hear more about from Vanessa and um, coming up. But these are some of the teams we have for serving um, on a Sunday. So like I said, starting this fall, we're going to begin a new system of serving. And what that means is we are going to shift into um, splitting up our calendar into semesters. So if you're a college student, cool, you're already used to that. If you've been out of college for some time, like myself, we're going to get back into the semester schedule. Um, And what that that means is that we're going to split up our, our serving calendar into four-month chunks. So we'll have a serving rotation through the fall, a serving rotation through the spring, and a serving rotation through the summer. And what that means is that you will sign up at the start, at, as this new semester is coming, we'll have sign-ups for different teams. If you were already on a previous um, team, or if you're on a team right now, um, this is something we're going to be launching in the fall, you will re-sign up each semester. If you haven't served before and a new semester's coming, you've been thinking, oh, I think this is something I want to do, then you could start in with a new semester. Now, if you want to start serving and maybe we're in the middle of a semester, 
Does that mean you have to wait until the start of the next semester? No, but this does provide um, a chunk of time for you to be able to say, yeah, I, I can commit to serving four times over the chunk of four months. That's approachable. Maybe you are in, maybe you are in school and you know that this semester you've got a hard, a hard class load and you know that your time isn't gonna be what it can be so you have to take a, a time off of serving but you know that for the next serving rotation you can totally hop on. Maybe you're pregnant and you know that um, while your belly is not large now, but it will be, but you could totally serve for the next four months. Um, and then when that four month chunk ends, then you know it'll be time to nest and have a baby and all the joys that come with that. Um, there are all, all, so many different life situations that um, obviously come up, but this is just a way to provide um, a good system of starting to serve um, and some clarity along how, how long you're able to serve and things like that. Um, so this will be something, like I said, that we're going to start in the fall. Um, we'll be getting sign-ups and things like that rolling soon. And that something else, um, at the start of each semester, we'll also hold a training. So some of you, um, maybe you're Nate Martinovich and you're a professional and you know how to run this all better than I do, maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll be the one who runs those training sessions, but maybe you need a refresher or maybe um, because I like to change things up, um, maybe the last time you served on setup, it was one way, but I've added 15 new things to your setup <laughs> time. Um, and you need to figure out what some of those things are. So at the start of each semester, we'll also have a training session, uh, walking through what each of these things are. Um, and this, and so this will go for each of these um, ministry teams. So you can pick and choose which which team you are gifted and you want to serve on. Um, if that's Kid Town, if that's worship, what whatever um, it might be. But this is just um, a system for us to be able to use our talents that God has given us um, to serve his kingdom in this, in this way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks, Gabby. Well, and one thing that happens, guys, when you serve on these teams is that you want to keep doing it because it's fun and you get to connect with other people. That's the weird thing about the life that Jesus called us to. It actually is life, and it is really joyful and fun to step in and serve. So uh, this is something that you're not just going to want to say, all right, I'll do it for a semester, and then I'm out forever. Right. You're probably going to want to keep like, oh, no, this is really fun. I like to connect with these people. And so... That's an important part of this. We also want you to know that you're always invited to serve beyond these walls. Uh, those service projects happen on a regular basis. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a sec. In fact, that's a good segue to my friend Carly, another one of our board members, who's going to be talking about some of the ways that we are serving our neighbors and ways you can step into that service in the next little while. Awesome. So, um, hello, everyone. I'm Carly. I wanted to talk a little bit about our community and the ways that we are called to serve outside of the walls of this church. So, one of the things that I personally love about Midtown is we know that it's not just about us. We want to step into the places that God has been at work for a really long time um, and that he will continue to work. So we are starting a process called asset-based community development. And basically what this is, is just researching what God is doing, has done, and what he will continue to do in our communities. Um, so we have a team of a number of different organizations and individuals who have come together and we're looking at uh, the history of this place. Um, our community, so we have um, just a barrier. What are our different cross streets, Clint, can you remind me? Yeah, we go 51, so the community we're thinking about is the 51 highway over to 7th Street, and then McDowell south to... 
just, I need to look at one of the downtown streets. It's just south of Roosevelt, yeah. whatever the street just south of Roosevelt is. Yeah, so, so it's basically radius. encompassing the Coronado mm -hmm. District, mm -hmm. the Garfield District, and the Roosevelt District. And so there's a number of different organizations that are already at work, have been at work for a really long time, um, and there's people who have lived here for a really long time. And so we are going and seeing how God has been at work and really just falling more in love with our community that we serve in um, and that we get to participate in. So, um, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. If you are interested in that, we would love for you to join that team. We have a number of people who have gone through um, some trainings and things like that, but we're going to be starting going out into the community, um, interviewing people, inviting them into this space, and really just, um, yeah, being proud of the work that the community has already been doing and seeking out the good um, that God has been doing in this space. So yeah. that's a little bit about that, um, but we're really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Guys, this is, this is a huge deal because it invites the neighbors to participate in the life of, of the kingdom. It doesn't say, hey, we're coming and bringing this to you. We're saying we're participating with you in all of this together. Uh, we've actually already started to build some really cool relationships with some nonprofits in the area. We just had an event last night with AimRight. It's a tremendous nonprofit just south of us that does great work with at-risk youth. So we're going to keep having events like that. Uh, we're going to be doing service Saturdays once a month moving forward as well. Those service Saturdays will be connected. Yeah, Alex is excited. Those service Saturdays will be connected to all of this work. We'll be connected intrinsically to loving our neighbors really well. That starts next month with a meal for Hope Women's Center. So sign up for that. It's going to be a good time. So... Finally, last thing, I want to invite uh, Miss Vanessa up here. She heads up our kid town at Midtown. Yes, she came up with that name herself. It's incredible. Kid town at Midtown and uh, Elizabeth, one of our board members, uh, they're going to share a little bit about what kid town is up to and the hopes and dreams for kid town. And then we'll wrap our time together. All right. Um, also, I did not come up with the kid town. That was literally, <laughs> I have the receipts to prove it. On <laughs> just so you know. Nice. Um, yeah, um, just this last year, I feel like we've just seen so much growth in Kid Town, um, along with the name. But I feel like this past year has really just been a theme of seeing our community's faithfulness to serve our kids and God blessing our kids and our community through that. Um, we've just seen so many new volunteers sign up and commit and start teaching our kids and just even just having fun and playing with them. We have adults outside of serving on Sundays. Like, I don't know if you've seen Talia running around playing tag with the kids <laughs> after service, but that is in a way serving our kids as well. You know, you have those adults that pour into you and are just like a buddy to you. I don't know if you have ever had any core memories as a child of those really fun adults that just seem to like weirdly invest their time and energy into you and you just felt so loved in those spaces. So I just wanna take a moment to really just thank all the, the volunteers I see in here that have been so faithful for loving our kids. It's really amazing and I'm, I'm just so grateful for each and every one of you. I could not do this on my own. Mm -hmm. um, we've also seen baptisms recently, our own uh, Tobin Keck was baptized. Yeah. Your own Tobin Keck <laughs> was baptized. And along with some new babies, we have a lot of growing families here. Like, it's been, again, such a huge blessing growing as a community, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's also been really, um, really amazing to see and witness and get to walk along 
um, a lot of new families, a lot of continuing to grow families, families that um, are also, you know, more mature families and begin pouring into other families. So it's just really great to see, and I'm so blessed to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, celebrating just where we're at now. Um, we're also looking forward into um, hopefully having a third classroom, which as of right now, we have two. Um, so what that means is we really want to provide a space um, mostly targeted for the um, older kids. You know, these kids are growing up and we wanna make sure that we're growing with them and meeting them where they're at. And so what that looks like now is um, I've noticed a need for um, the older kids specifically to have a space where right now they really want a dialogue. They want a conversation with an adult about the Bible. They have all these questions that I do not have the time to answer each Sunday. And if you want to be a part of that, if you want to be that adult that can just sit down and talk to them about Jesus, about the Bible, and enter into that dialogue with them, they are going to be so grateful for that. And um, that's going to be a lot easier to implement um, with our new volunteer system um, that uh, Gabby mentioned earlier. Um, even if you just want to try it out for just one session, see if it's something you feel like you can do, um, that would just be really great if you could even just give it a try. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You can be on setup or you could take a break, whatever you need to do. Uh, what I really like about the new system is that it's a great way to prevent um, burnout, and it's really a great way to help us help you guys to serve. And um, we really don't want to be a community that just exhausts people and is always requiring things without ever giving a space for uh, a breath or a break. But I really like this because it really is more just an invitation and it's more of an opportunity for you to give of your own free will and not feel obligated or they have to commit longer than you really can in that season of life and for us to meet you where you're at. So I really like that about this. I talk to Gabby about it all the time and I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, next coming up is uh, I'm currently working on a new curriculum um, for our kid town. Um, it's going to be really geared towards where our kids are at specifically. So it's taking into account the resources we currently have, the volunteers we currently have, the kids we currently have, but also with room for growth. Um, and just basically it's designed to meet kids where they're at. So ideally I would like to launch that curriculum and the third classroom the first Sunday of August. So with the start of the first um, semester, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Um, so if you guys could help us, I think we only need like two more volunteers, two or three more monthly volunteers to make that possible, um, which is really achievable. That's like just two people. Um, that would make that possible. Um, and that would also allow me to um, serve or be in um, service 
uh, twice a month maybe, mm -hmm. um, depending. But yeah, that's where we're at now, and I'm really excited. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Vanessa. Yeah, yeah. Um, if, if anybody has any questions or just a, hmm, I wonder about serving in Kidtown, please, like you, you can connect with me, you can connect with Vanessa, you can connect with Paige. We would love to just have a conversation and hear your questions and hear your wonderings and find out what that might look like, what that might take for you to say yes to something like that mm -hmm. or just to explore it. So we are open to conversations of curiosities surrounding that, okay? Thanks, thanks Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth Page and Vanessa have done an amazing job with Kidsmen as a team. And that's something, actually, the reason we wanted to emphasize on Vision Sunday all of this is because it's a reminder that we are a team together. Also, you guys hear me talk plenty. Like, you don't need to hear me talk as much anymore. It's really helpful to hear the people who are part of this body who are saying, I'm committed, I'm in, and here's where we're headed together. Uh, so friends, as a kind of wrap-up to this morning, the early church transformed the world because it was being with Jesus, it was belonging to a community, it was blessing the world. And all of us here at Midtown have an opportunity to do the same in our own lives, to give our lives away for the sake of the kingdom, to participate in God's redemption and restoration of all things. And we do that through all of these invitations. So your next in all of these ways is to be with Jesus a little bit more, spend time in this community, invest in the things we're doing together. It's to belong to this community, to step into something like covenant partnership and giving so that we can be uh, a financially self-sustaining church. And then it's through blessing the world. It's through serving in asset-based community developments, through serving on Sundays and in Kidsmen. And when we do that together, God's promise is that it will do remarkable things in our lives and in the world. With me? All right, let's pray, friends. Right,